Hi everyone, welcome to Safe Talks. Today I'm here with Adam Frey and he has ISFJ preferences and we're here to ask him what his experience is like as his type. I'm wondering if you could give a quick introduction for people who are new to you. Well, I'm gonna start by saying, uh, I pronounced my name Fry, uh, even though it looks like Frey. But uh, you know, as far as the ISFJ type, um, I think it's a sensitive type. I think that, um, uh, in, in, in one seminar, Jung talked about introverted sensation as being like a mimosa leaf. It's the kind of leaf, you know, that if you run your finger along it, the leaves kind of curl up. Um, it's like they're shrinking back. And so I, I, I do experience introverted sensation as like um, um, very reactive to things that happen. Uh, it, it, even just, you know, noises or... Um, how much is going on around you and things like that. It's very reactive. Even though you, people with introverted sensation may not be that aware of it. I mean, but they, nevertheless, they're quite reactive. And then the feeling part, um, you know, always wants to keep the warm connection to other people. And so I think that, you know, because the, uh, the introverted sensation is very observant and, and reactive, um, when I'm engaging with somebody else, I'm watching their face all the time. And um, if I say something and they don't look like they're comfortable with it, I immediately register it and try to, you know, um, do something about it to restore the contact. And so I do think that introverted sensation people, ISFJ people can be, um, you know, very attentive to making, keeping the other person feeling comfortable uh, in the relationship. Uh, and sometimes that can get in the way. I mean, sometimes it's better to make people uncomfortable and, and deal with, the, you know, whatever issues there are in the relationship. Um, but uh, I, I think that's part of what goes with the type. It, in a way, I don't know if I know as much about ISFJ as I do about other types because, you know, since it's my type, I'm not that drawn to other ISFJs. Like they have nothing to teach me. You know, it's like they, I already know all of that. And so, um, I don't really know well a whole lot of ISFJs, but I did interview a bunch of uh, ISFJs and ISTJs um, as a part of some research I was doing once, so I know a little bit. A mimosa leaf is a really good way of putting it. Another way that you reference introverted sensing is God is in the little details. And you have a bunch of other ways of describing it too that really get to the heart, the crux of ISFJ. So I was wondering if you wanted to go into that. Yeah, I mean, I think that um, um, introverted sensation construes reality by building it up from the small details, right? I mean, um, as an introverted sensation type, you know, I, I, it takes me a while to get to the big picture. And I don't really trust the big picture until I've built it up from the little details and added them all up, you know. So like in terms of a business situation, someone could tell me, oh, um, you know, our business is earning so and so many million dollars a year or something. I'm not sure I would necessarily um, believe it if it was important for me to know, you know, un until I had kind of um, saw how they got there. I mean, I think there's a kind of uh, um, a kind of wariness of trusting people's um, presentation of what the reality is. The introverted sensation, I think, wants to kind of poke into it and verify if it's if it's true or not and and um build up to the big picture from the small details and 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 i think that 
the people that I've talked to with introverted sensation seem to agree that they believe that to uh, that there is um, really value in the small details. And um, if you want to understand a process of how some complicated process is working, then it's a good idea to just take one example of that kind of exchange, whatever it is, and really follow it from start to finish. Like if it's, again, if it's a business situation, you know, follow one sale and see exactly what all the steps are in the sale and how the customer reacts at each point and how the salesperson reacts at each point. And because somewhere in all those details, um, there might be hidden some information that people that only look at the big picture have just glazed over. You bring up a really good point. Verifying is a very introverted sensing word where they're doing an audit over the little details and finding the gold within that. So, yeah, I mean, I just, I mean, my experience in life is that an awful lot of the time when people tell you something, you know, they describe a situation to you and trying to orient you to the reality, often it's wrong. There's something wrong in it because they haven't really looked that carefully, you know, and so. I think just I think it's typical for people, uh, ISTJs and ISFJs, to be a little distrustful of what people say the reality is and want to check it out for themselves. It's almost like the paradox of introverted sensing, because there's the stereotype in the community that STJs like to follow the rules, but at the same time they're skeptical too. So I wonder how those factor in that they both want that kind of order, like with the T-E-S-I for the ISTJs, yet they're also skeptical of who they're listening to, too. And so, Adam, this leads into the first question I want to ask you, and that is, what are the core features of ISFJs? Well, I mean, for one thing, I think um, introverted sensation in general, ISTJs and ISFJs, tends to be a bit poker-faced. I mean, I think that the introverted sensation type is you know, maybe really massively reacting to small details in the environment around them. And yet it's kind of done with a poker face. They don't show, often we don't show it. Um, and so we can kind of have a bland look on our faces and actually inside it's all kind of turmoil and a reaction happening. Jung talks about introverted sensation as, you know, experiencing everything like, um, people or a passing train or anything. It's like, you know, a world of gods and monsters where everything gets a big reaction, emotional reaction, particularly that would be one of the feeling types, uh, but, but it's unconscious mostly. And so uh, there's this paradox where I think ISFJs are um, actually very reactive to practically everything that's happening. And yet it, it may try to tamp it down by not showing it in the face. I totally agree. You might find some ISFJ females who are a little bit more expressive than the male counterparts uh, on a whole. Now, because of how strong the stimulus is in the moment, the ISFJ may actually like recalling the event more than experiencing the thing itself or something along the lines of that. I'm trying to lead it into... Yes. You know, Jung doesn't talk about memory as being a big deal for introverted sensation, but uh, certainly the MBTI people do, and Isabel Briggs Myers did. And I think you can draw a, lot, a connection between how Jung thinks of introverted sensation and how Isabel Briggs Myers thinks of it um, a couple of ways. 
I mean, I think it is true that the people who are constantly saying, oh, this reminds me of the time, blah, 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 that tends to be an introverted sensation trait. And it tends to be an introverted sensation that one is always comparing the new thing with something that it reminds us of in our memory. And it might that connection might not be obvious at all to anyone else. Um, because I think that, um, I think memory is really a great storehouse for introverted sensation. I mean, consider if in the moment, you're always a little bit overwhelmed and you only wish that you could slow it down and quiet it down and not have everything be so stimulating to the senses, then it's actually, life is actually better in memory than it is when it's happening. You know, because when, it, when you go back to it in memory, you can slow it down and you know, no one invites you, you know, because you, are, you already lived through it. You don't, there's no surprises in it. And so I often find things are more fun in memory than they are when they're happening. It sounds terrible, but it isn't terrible because I think there can be a lot of pleasure in memory. And I get so much meaning out of it. I mean, um, I'm working on a problem that I'm having now, let's say, with um, somebody, there's something in the relationship that doesn't feel right. And suddenly I'm remembering, you know, something that happened when I was seven, you know, with somebody. And there's a connection there. And if I think about it, I can figure out why that thing that happened to me when I'm seven is relevant to this thing that's bothering me now. Introverted sensation. Um, regards memory as just this kind of treasure house of things that you can um, enjoy and learn from um, years and years later. I mean, we never get all the juice out of our experience as it's happening, right? We're baffled. You know, half our life, I think we're baffled by everything that happens. And it happens now so often that I, um, you know, something comes up in my mind and it from something that happened long ago. And there's um a connection to what I'm remembering, to what I'm struggling with now. And also I suddenly see something that in the thing that happened long ago that I didn't understand at the time. And now I can say, I, now I do understand it. So that's kind of fun um, for introverted sensation. But also, you know, if, you, if your dominant function is introverted sensation, it means that your, your inferior function is extroverted intuition. You're not particularly good at, at intuiting what's gonna come next. For introverted sensation types, whether it's ISTJs or ISFJs, you know, if you ask them what might happen next, usually it'll be some catastrophic thing. You know, they, they kind of go to the worst, worst possible thing that could happen. Oh, this could happen. That could happen. Oh, my God, what if this happened? And so that that's not very useful. I mean, those things almost never do happen, those catastrophic intuitions of the future. So if you can't really trust your intuition of what's going to come next, then your best bet at steering yourself through life in unfamiliar situations is to compare to memory. And so I think that that's another reason why um, inter memory is important for introverted sensation. Mm. Well put, Adam. When you mentioned that the outer world is very stimulating, it can also cause introverted sensing users to lock in on certain details, but then not see everything else there too. Well, that's really a problem. I mean, this is where I envy extroverted sensation types, you know, the, the, the ESP types, because, um, for example, I recently I helped the Young Institute on a, in San Francisco on a project that had to do with real estate. They had to buy a building. So you go out and look at buildings. I am not good at looking at the building and taking in the big picture and sort of seeing everything. 
I just immediately zero in on this detail or that detail that somehow reminds me of something or makes my makes me feel something or somehow it becomes significant to me. And I, I it's really hard to kind of remember the big picture, which I think extroverted sensation is much better at. So, um, I, you know, I, I would trust an extroverted sensation type more than an introverted sensation type to say what happened you know, at an event. I mean, the introverted sensation, it's just, you know, I remember when I was maybe um, 21 um, and um, my, uh, maybe I was older than that. Anyway, uh, my grandmother died and I remember that there was a Star of David on the top of her um, oak um, veneered coffin. And, you know, I mean, I mentioned that to my brother and he's like, what? How can you remember the decoration of her coffin? Well, it just spoke to me that Star of David on the oak, you know, oak covered coffin. I mean, it, it, that might be all I remember from her whole, you know, well, I have one other memory, but that I have just a couple of things that I remember from that funeral. And they're bizarre things that no one else would have noticed. And life is like that for introverted, for ISFJ, I think. It's almost like the one chooses the wizard. And so you have these impressions from events, sensory impressions, concrete impressions that have subjective meaning to you. And now you have that association between the Star of David and the funeral and the coffin. And it just, it just so happened. And so. And I think you can see it in, you can see it in Alfred Hitchcock's films. I mean, I think, um, John Beebe um, says that Alfred Hitchcock is an introverted sensation type, ISTJ, and I'm, I'm, I'm sure that's right. And, you know, in Hitchcock's films, someone walks into a room and, you know, then the camera goes to one item in the room and kind of zeroes in on it. And maybe the music goes, wah, wah, you know, and that's what introverted sensation is like, that, that you know, some object kind of seizes your attention and you have this big reaction to it. So I think you can really feel it in Hitchcock's films. Well put, well put. And so my next question for you is, what do people misunderstand about ISFJs? Well, I mean, I think people feel like that the attention to detail is just a way to make other people wrong. You know, that it's a way to, to do a gotcha thing. Um, and so I think that's one one issue is that, that um, it's, those details are not important. And if you're going to insist on those details, it must be because you're trying to show them that they're wrong or, or catch them and trap, trap them or trip them up. And another problem with ISFJ could be um, the, um, the extroverted feeling part, the, the warmth of feeling that ISFJ wants to keep going can just feel phony to people. They just don't believe it. So those are those are that you're that, so that that one is that you're trying to trip them up, and the other is that you're insincerely, you know, um, warm. Yeah, I find that yeah, it's important for introverted sensing to get the details right because if the details aren't those details, then you're talking about a whole different animal at that point. And so, yeah, context is everything for introverted sensing. The context is the details. ISFJs 
they're not being fake when they are being warm to people. It's just that urge to keep the warm connection intact in the moment. And so they're they're not as in tune with their own emotions as they are in tune with your emotions. Absolutely. I mean, I'm with somebody and I say something and I see a kind of a funny look cross her face and I realize, oh, she didn't like it when I said that. And I want to restore the relations. And it might only be, I might be starting to feel things in my own body, you know, and maybe I didn't like something that she said, but I, I can get to that, you know, later when I'm home. I mean, I, I, I put it, I give it a lower priority when I'm feeling than I do what she's feeling. And it, it, that's, you know, I mean, it might be adaptive for sales or something, but it's not really, you know, as you grow as a person, you have to try to not be too one-sided about that kind of thing because, you know, your own feelings do matter. Yeah, and it can create a self-fracturing in some ISFJs where their needs or their feelings in that moment don't matter as much as the person's feelings in front of them. So they may cut off parts of their own expression or censor themselves to make you feel better. Yeah, I mean, you just have to understand that for me at least, to experience something, you know, whether it's joy or, you know, finding, you know, the thrill of finding meaning in something or whatever, it's kind of lonely. I mean, I'm not really, my experience isn't really complete until I can share it with somebody mm-hmm. and they can feel it too. I mean, I, I really, I just don't really feel all that happy with my feeling experience until someone can say, oh yeah, I know exactly what you mean. Boy, yeah, I felt that too, or something like that. There has to be some relating, some connecting there. There has to be some real relating that goes in, yeah. Or even if they just say, oh, that's really interesting. I hadn't thought of that. I didn't see it. I didn't feel that way about it. But yeah, I can understand that you do. I mean, then it's okay. Then, then okay, I can relax. I've had the feeling and I've shared it. And it, then it's complete. But for me, just to feel something all by myself and not share it, it isn't really complete. Yeah, feeling is almost a shared experience, a communal experience. And so I'm curious, Adam, What are three words people you know would describe you as? And what would you describe yourself as? Well, um, people would describe me as conscientious and um, hardworking and detail-oriented. I mean, I think that's what people in work situations see. Um, And um, maybe in more social situations, I think people might feel well, I don't know what, I don't know how to say about it in social situations, but I know uh, for sure in work situations, it's, it's seen, I'm seen that way. And, um, you know, I, I think um, there is a real danger for ISJ types and, uh, to be, come just get into drudgery work, you know, to just do repetitive drudgery work um, because it's easy for us to do usually those kinds of repetitive things that are detail oriented. And, you know, we don't really mind it, but it can become, I think ISFJ, you know, the, the MBTI people say that the, the phrase works behind the scenes for ISFJ. And I, and, and um, um, it, 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 so it's not a type that necessarily needs to call attention to itself, but it's willing to just do all this hard work behind the scenes and it can become a little bit um, 
abusive, you know. So I, I think we have to watch out for um, falling in too much to a willingness to do whatever it takes to keep things in order. You see, order is so important to introverted sensation. I mean, if things are disordered and, and then they become unpredictable and disorder and unpredictability leads to overstimulation. You know, it's like if you have a drawer, suppose you have a drawer where you keep all your, I don't know, sewing stuff. If everything in the drawer is tidy and all the spools of thread are lined up in a row, you know, by color and, um, you know, all the tools are lined up the same way and separated. It's not overstimulating. But if you just take all that sewing stuff and dump it in a drawer any which way, and then you open the drawer and look at it, it's like, oh, my God, this is way overstimulating. There's all this chaos. So because we love order and want things to be, you know, to be quietly in order and, and not freak us out, because I think we're easily freaked out, um, we're willing sometimes to just do any amount of drudgery work to keep things in order. And that can become kind of, you know, abusive if you don't watch out. That makes a lot of sense. You can sometimes see hints at someone's personality type through their behavioral residue, like how orderly they keep their stuff and why they keep their stuff that way too. And the cognition behind it is to be not overly stimulated. Chaos is overly stimulating. Right. And, so and, and also frightening because the more things are chaotic, the more there's a feeling like, well, I don't know what's going to come next. And introverted sensation is already freaked out about what might come next because it's an inferior, inferior function of extroverted intuition that looks to the future. I, I always used to believe, um, and especially when I was younger in, in my career, that there was no amount of detail that I couldn't master, none. And, you know, uh, I went to, if I went to work for a nonprofit and they had 2,000 people on their mailing list, and there was something we didn't know. We didn't have a field in the database for the some important information about them, like whether they were um, therapists or just you know people, lay people, for example. Uh, um, I, I didn't think it was a problem for me to Google those those two thousand names one by one and figure it out. You know, to Google two thousand things, no problem. I can do that over a couple of months. You know, and so. I just like no matter no one can ever intimidate me with detail. You know, other people might say, "Well, how can you possibly find that out?" It's like, "Oh, fine, I'll just you know do the ten thousand things I need to do to find out the answer." And that, I mean, that was kind of one of the strengths that I saw in myself when I was young that I that that there was just no amount of complexity of detail that I couldn't master. Yeah, that is very telling. There is that ability, if you want to, you can zero in on any detail and not be overwhelmed by it. A logistics master, <laughs> naturally. And so what are words you would describe yourself as? This happens a lot where I'll ask an FJ type or someone with higher up extroverted feeling. Tell me about words you would use to describe yourself. You started off by explaining how other people see you. And that was way easier for you to say than just you describing you alone. Yeah, boy, to boil it down to just a single, single words is hard. Um, I, I experience myself as caring um, and as um, orderly um, and sensitive. That's wonderful. And what are some words you would use to describe ISFJs in general and why? Well, 
<laughs> there I might say hypersensitive. I mean, what feels like sensitive in me can I can experience as exhausting hypersensitivity in other people in other ISFJs. Um, you know, it's like the slightest thing throws them off, you know. Um, let's see, what else? Um, I think ISFJs are curious, though. I think they're, I, I always feel like we're willing to uh, spend a lot of time thinking about a situation or a category of things and kind of poking into it and trying to figure it out. When I interviewed a bunch of ISFJs for my research, um, I didn't feel like they were ever impatient with the questions I asked. You know, it's like they were really willing to think about it and dig into it and get into the, you know, small uh, nuances of everything. Am I forgetting? I might be forgetting a question. So the question I asked was, what are words you would use to describe ISFJs? Yeah. So maybe hypersensitive. Um, um, but I think, um, curious, mostly warm, I would say warm. Indeed they are. And indeed you are. And so the next question I was going to go into is how do the functions show up in your life? You haven't mentioned introverted thinking. I'm wondering how this shows up in ISFJs. God, uh, you know, introverted thinking is a sore point for me because I always thought that I, I thought that I was smart and I thought that being smart meant you could think. And I have, you know, I have to say, I mean, I really aced the SAT. I did, I was just, you know, really high on the SAT. And then I got to college and I had to write some essay kind of papers, you know, for classes that where you really had to make an argument and, and, and support it. And I, I didn't do well. And I found out that I really didn't think that well. Um, you know, if you think if you, in terms of um, being able to make a persuasive argument, uh, I could never have survived on a debate team. I would have hated it. And um, so painful. It, it really embarrassed me, my third function of introverted thinking, that I couldn't do it better because I love introverted thinking. And when I find an introverted thinking, you know, introverted thinking type and I in TP or an ISTP, I usually like them because I feel like, oh, here's someone who can take care of what I, you know, feel awkward about. Um, but what I learned, have learned in life is if I have to do something that requires thinking, which a lot of projects obviously do, then I just do it. I start way in advance of the deadline and I just work on the thinking part of it, you know, five minutes at a time and then take a break. I mean, honestly, I can't do thinking for more than like five minutes. I just can't. Um, but it, 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 I, I like it when I do it, but I, it gets tired so quick. You know, I mean, I just can't sustain thinking. Um, I, I, I don't, you know, in social situations, if there's people are talking about philosophy or something and they're getting into some kind of intellectual argument, I just, I don't participate. I can't do that. Um, or I might say one thing and then tune out for a while. You know, so I have really learned that my thinking, it can be good, but it gets tired easily. And if I'm going to do thinking, I just have to start way in advance and do it in little doses of two, three, four, five minutes and then take a rest and come back to it again. It's embarrassing to me.
the relating and the detail recalling seem to come more easily to you than that. And so I'm curious, what kind of details stick out to you? What makes you remember certain details? Like why the Star of David on that coffin? What, what particularly? Yeah, I mean, it, it has things that have emotional um, valence, you know, uh, those are the details that I remember. In the case of my grandmother's coffin, you know, I don't think my grandmother went to religious services. I mean, we're Jews, but, you know, I never saw her in a synagogue or anything. And so I didn't really think about what Judaism meant to her, if it meant anything to her, until there it was on her coffin, the Star of David. And so that was, I think it 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 just struck me, oh, this means something. So the, the little details that I notice are the ones that bring meaning. Um, you know, I, I, um, I've talked about sometimes that I was mugged once and I was trying to give a description of the guy that mugged me. And I, honestly, I couldn't say how old he was, how tall he was, how much he weighed. I didn't know diddly for a description. You know, I mean, that's really an extroverted sensation problem. So what I, I remembered about this guy and he's got a he's got me by the collar and he's got a screwdriver push forced into my gut and he's threatening my life and taking my wallet. And I'm looking into his face and thinking, what has happened to this guy to make him be this way? This poor guy, I mean, he just seems like a, a mess. I, I felt bad for him while he was mugging me. And um, I saw that his eyes kind of bulged out, like maybe some kind of thyroid problem, but the bottoms of his eyes, the bottom lids bulged out too. And I saw in them that there was these little marks, almost like scratch marks. And I, I just, that was the detail about him that I noticed that the, his bottom eyelids had these kind of marks on him, like they were scarred. And I thought, oh yeah, it's like he sees the world through a kind of scarred lens. You know, that was what it kind of meant to me. So that was the detail that stuck with me. Of course, it was totally useless to the police. Um, and, and so in that way, you get introverted sensation being awfully parallel to introverted intuition that, you know, it's, it's, it's getting to a meaningful image, but for introverted sensation, it doesn't come up out of the unconscious. It comes up out of the, out of the sensate world or the memory of the sensate world. Mm. Yeah. That moment of empathy you had for the mugger. That's so sweet. It, it, it shows. I've been mugged twice. And I felt I felt the same way both times. And while I'm running after this kid screaming, stop thief, stop thief. And meanwhile, I just like, oh, this poor kid. And he didn't even look he didn't even look like he was poor. I mean, he was well dressed. Why is he stealing my cell phone? You know, I just like, oh, this kid is in for a whole world of trouble. You know, meanwhile, I'm trying to get my cell phone back. Yeah, that's really poignant how extroverted sensing is able to notice like an ESTP or an ESFP, they're able to notice, oh, he was that tall, his hair is that color, and all of the details that would actually objectively ring true to all the other people looking for this person too. Whereas yeah. the introverted yeah. sensing zeroes in on the details that they find important and meaningful. And so, yeah, you're, you're totally right about that. Um, I have, I'm curious, when you go into your memory and you unpack those details, is it like a movie playing in your head? Yeah, I can't. I think so. I think so. Right. Yeah, it's like a movie playing in my head, although it might be a movie that has stop frames in it, you know, because um, it's the movie is going along and then it you come to something um, like the kid that I was chasing who had stolen my phone. I finally caught up to him and we're both just way out of breath. And I said, you know, give it back. And he said, 
oh, I don't have any more. I put it over on top of that mailbox over there. And I look over to the mailbox. And of course, the phone is not on top of the mailbox. But I so when I replay it in my head, the movie is going along. And then there's a stop frame on the mailbox. You know, it's like, well, I just look at that mailbox and see that it's not there in real life. You know, it, there was no stopping. But in the playback, that detail, the mailbox with nothing on top of it, um, has emotional valence. And so I, I linger on it. Yeah, you remember the point in time in which you were gullible and you're able to stop at certain significant moments to you. And so that you can impact even more richness from from the memory. I'm wondering, recalling the memory, can you do it in, in flashes too? Because right now you're talking about it in terms of you slow down and you're able to get everything out of the memory. Can you just at moments, like if someone were to ask you to recall a memory it can or, or something reminds you of something, it can really just be a flash at that moment too? Well, I mean, certainly, you know, I can, I can remember that, you know, I can say that I was mugged twice and, you know, what the two times were without having to play through the whole thing. Um, but um, the, the meaning of it, I think, comes m much more from slowing it down and playing, going through it, you know, in this, in the, in the, in the film and then stop film, stop frame kind of way. That is helpful. I'm curious, Adam, what advice would you give to ISFJs watching this? Well, it depends where you, what, how old you are and, you know, where you are in your life. I mean, I think um, it, for young ISFJs, I just think, um, you know, be aware that what's easy for you is not easy for other people. And don't expect them to be able to, you know, get all the details right or master all the details or, um, you know, um, be able to implement um, some complicated, you know, way of doing something the same way every time like you can do. Uh, it's, it, it's not that people are trying to annoy you by not getting the details right. Uh, it's just that they can't do it, you know. And then I think, you know, for ISFJs that are older, um, you know, it really helps to start working on the functions that are not preferred, you know, to uh, to see other people that do other kinds of consciousness really well that are that are foreign to you and watch what they do and see if you can appreciate it and maybe sometimes emulate it, you know. Um, and, you know, we already talked about watching out for the pitfall of becoming a kind of um, um, drudge slave because you're, you, you know, it's easy for you to do the repetitive uh, detail oriented tasks. Doesn't mean that you should spend your whole life doing that and um, be, you know, be a little, I think, cautious of your, um, natural focus on keeping the warm relationship with the other person to the and, and realize that yeah you know what you're feeling matters too i mean it, it, it there's information in what you're feeling and so if you don't pay attention to what you're feeling you're missing the information that is so true
no need to self-abandon or self-fracture always for the sake of the relationship. It's good to cause some conflict when the conflict needs to be there. And so, yeah, well said, Adam. Also, I'm curious about sitting duck syndrome. Do you ever see ISFJs who fall asleep to their needs and wants in a form of taking a passive stance to life? Yes, I do think that happens. Um, and it comes, uh, it's, you know, when I, when I was a manager and was responsible for, you know, making an organization work, um, I always used to think, gosh, these people are all so difficult. It's so hard to get them all to work together and get along. Um, if I start adding in my needs and my feelings to this, it's going to be yet more complicated. I'm just going to put that aside and pay no attention to it. And it turns out that that's not a long, good long-term solution, not only for yourself, but for the organization. Because, um, you know, if something's happening in the organization that's offending you and you keep just saying, well, I'm offended by this, but, you know, it's already hard enough to keep all these other people happy. You're just not given enough weight to how offensive that thing is and something needs to be done about it. And so, um, yeah, it's... Um, you can decide later how much weight to give your feelings, but you you can't really just ignore them. It's not a successful strategy. Yeah. So what I'm getting out of this is that you not only like physical order in what you explained, you also like relational order as well, too, because you don't want to overcomplicate and add chaos to your relationships by not adding your needs or your perspective or your emotions. In, in its full complexity, you hope to not add to the chaos and hopefully make things easier on everyone. But in a way, that's a long-term sacrifice for the ISFJ, just over a little occurrences over time. Yeah, I mean, I think ISFJ is kind of a natural person who wants organizations to function well. You know, it just comes naturally to ISFJ um, because the extroverted feeling wants everyone to get along and work together and the introverted sensation you know, wants the thing to to do its job and keep order and not um, be, um, um, you know, wasting a lot of time and money or something like that. So um, an ISFJ can be so devoted to the organization that that they lose themselves too much. Makes sense. Makes sense. And so. Adam, I'm curious about how you would differentiate ISFJ from the adjacent types to it. So how would you tell apart an ISTJ and an ISFJ? Well, I, I don't think that part. I mean, I think the ISTJ um, does not make a lot of effort to be, um, I mean, they're, they're, I think they would be polite. Uh, and I think they... Well, I'll tell you one way you can tell the difference. ISFJ tends to um, take a risk and reveal things about themselves in order to build trust with the other person. So I, I might tell you something personal about myself, maybe something that's a little embarrassing or whatever, and it's a way to build trust and you can see that I'm trusting you and hopefully you'll trust me back and tell me something and the relationship will get stronger. ISTJ doesn't play that game. ISTJ, you know, will be will be polite and and you know minimally warm, but um, it doesn't 
you know, ISTJ doesn't go for trying to up the ante on trust by revealing stuff. That's one way you can tell the difference. Yeah, the ISFJ will want to almost utilize sharing as a way to foster and grow the connection even more. It's, it's like, will this help the connection? Then sure, I will share. Whereas the ISTJ yeah. is not motivated in that same way. Yeah. And another difference too is the kind of memories people will store. An ISFJ is going to experience way more nostalgia or emotion around their recalling or memories or their the details that they find significant. Whereas an ISTJ will take in more technical cold data and, and details than the ISFJ would on a whole. Yes, but the, but the ISFJ is actually more resilient around feeling than the ISTJ is. The ISTJ has feeling as their third function. It's more um, acts like a young person. And it uh, the ISTJ is more likely to burst into tears all of a sudden. Um, you know, I mean, the ISTJ, because feeling is a third function, is not as strong, they're more vulnerable to their feeling. It can suddenly, you know, rear up and overwhelm them. And the ISFJ, you know, is rarely, um, you know, overwhelmed by their feeling. I mean, they're, 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 they have it well in hand because it's a pretty conscious function. Yeah. The ISTJ is more likely to feel out of control if they're experiencing a random intense emotion, whereas an ISFJ will feel more comfortable with emotions on a whole than yeah. the ISTJ will. Yeah. Makes sense. Makes sense. And so how would you differentiate an ISFJ from an ISFP? I know they have completely opposite cognitive functions, but how would you, in simple terms, explain that to someone? Well, an ISFP is really in touch with her feelings and, and knows what she feels about everything. It's like the ISFP, you know, if something's going on that doesn't sit right with her or him, they'll say, you know, uh-uh, I don't, I, this is not acceptable to me. I don't, you know, I'm, I'm not going along with this. I don't like this. This is a red line for me. Whereas the ISFJ would never say those things. I mean, you know, even a murderer, you have to try to find some empathy for, you know, I mean, so um, an ISFJ would never say, oh, yeah, that's unacceptable, you know, because that would be just cutting off all relation to the person and the warmth is completely gone. Um, the ISFJ more likely would say, yeah, you know, I mean, I can see why, you know, you got really angry, but, you know, to murder somebody, you just can't be doing that. I mean, it's, it's, a, it's, you're trying to keep the connection even while you're dealing with the ethical issues. The introverted feeling, you know, it's just, uh -uh, you know, I, that's not acceptable. Yeah. So the ISFP is more in tune with their emotions and more willing to sever the warm emotion in that moment to be true to themselves and to say what they actually feel because the introverted feeling cannot stand incongruence with its values and it has to do something about it. With some ISFPs, there is a desire to always figure out who am I, who am I? And like, they're always thinking about their feelings or values or identity, even if they haven't arrived at a conclusion of it necessarily, they're always thinking about how do I feel about this? How do I feel about this? What is my truest feeling about this? Mm -hmm. Where there are certain ISFJs that will be confused with what they're feeling at times. It's like, oh. oh yeah. yeah, or just feel it's not important. Mm -hmm. so, you know, ISFJ can feel like, oh, I'm probably feeling something, but it's, if I get into that, it's just going to make it too complicated. Yeah, they don't want to add chaos into the situation or... Conflict. 
conflict. Conflict by 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 adding themselves into the equation. Makes sense. And how would you tell apart ISFJ from ESFJ in your view? Well, ESFJ is kind of a manager of feelings. You know, it's like um, she's so good at. Uh, she stands up in front of the group, you know, with her extroverted feeling and smiles and gets everybody else to smile and tells them what we're going to do. And, you know, it, it's you, you, she's very good at making everyone feel comfortable and feel like it's a good environment. But you also somewhere feel you're being managed. And uh, you might feel that with ISFJ, but not as much. I mean, I think the when the feeling is in the auxiliary place, it's more um, it's more help more helpful than it is um, um, an exercise of power. I think for extra for the ESFJ, in some way, their ability to make everyone feel good and comfortable is somehow in the service of their own power. And I don't mean to make it be wrong because everyone, every type is somewhere in the service of their own power, of their own power. But I think it comes out of the dominant function, not the auxiliary function. Another way to tell apart ESFJ and ISFJ is what is their dominant mode all the time? And Adam talked about his experience of being in introverted sensing all the time. It's on autopilot in everything he does. Whereas with an ESFJ, you'll see extroverted feeling in almost everything that they'll do un unconsciously and consciously too. Um, cool. And I'm wondering, Adam, how you would differentiate ISFJ from INFJ? Well, the INFJ um, is more visual and less verbal. Um, is more impressionistic and less building up the big picture from the details. So the, I think the INFJ has an overall take on the thing, whereas the ISFJ doesn't until they pile up all the details and then see what the total adds up to. Um, the INFJ also just knows things without knowing how they know them. The, ISF, the ISFJ, I don't think they we have that experience of knowing something without being able to say how I know that. I don't think so. Yeah, the INFJ is more comfortable with starting with the generalization, whereas yeah. the ISFJ needs to build up to the generalization. Yeah. That makes sense. All right. And so thank you, Adam, for coming out and sharing your experience of how it's like to be an ISFJ in your view. Thank you for bringing your warm presence here and your ability to keep the relationship happy and comfortable and making people feel good. That is a gift that you help parent people with. So much appreciated. It's great to hear the rich depth of introverted sensing because oftentimes it's reduced down to memory. So it was great for you to go into detail with how it's like to be you. As you say, God is in the details. So you're really showing us the value of going over the details. You catch things that other people don't catch that allows you to be more informed. So heck yeah. What I've also learned here is that there are a lot of similarities between how introverted sensing is described and introverted thinking is described. It's almost like there's this level of skepticism or almost pedanticness that's ascribed to both functions. 
So I wonder Ooh. if you have both SI and TI, it, it causes a double, almost a double pedanticness. <laughs> it's my hypothesis. So skepticism doesn't have to just come from introverted thinking. It can come from introverted sensing too, because you're skeptical of the little details. So right. thank you for for your, your takes on your type. It's going to be really valuable for people who don't know about ISFJs, but they, they want to learn more about the inner workings. You did a great job describing your mind in detail. So Thank you. <laughs> One other thing that the audience members will notice in the interview is that when Adam is describing himself, he'll refer back to personal experiences to almost go deeper into a concept. And you'll you'll notice in some SI users that they'll they'll want to recall experiences to to illustrate certain things. Just like Adam was saying, this reminds me of. It's almost like grounding it in the experience, grounding it in the sensory adds a it it adds something to it. So yeah, I, I just noticed. And that's that's part of the um, suspiciousness in a way of the introverted sensation, because if I only describe myself without giving you a, a real example, I would just say, well, how do I know I'm not making that up? How do I know that's really, that, how do I know that really feels true? It only feels true to me if I can give you concrete examples of it. And so I wouldn't be expected to be persuasive to anybody else unless there can be concrete examples. Absolutely. That was fascinating because I've never I've never had an SI user explain to me why they do that. So that makes everything make sense. Um, once I, was, I was once teaching a type um, course and I had prepared a, a made up example of, of for an exercise for the group to do. And then but then we were talking and somebody had a personal example of that was similar. And so I had us work on the person's personal example in our group exercise. And um, later people were kind of angry that I did that because they thought it gave too much attention to that one person whose example it was. Um, but I, my feeling is something that really happened or a real situation, you know, that's where you read reality. If I make up a situation in order to teach a concept, I mean, to me, that's just, you know, I, it's not a real thing. I mean, it could, that's not, it doesn't feel real to me until it's an actual example that actually happened unless it's verifiable and reliable in, in an actual experience, then how do you know if you're, you're just making it up too? Right. And so what you can also take away from this is that it seems these sensing functions, they orient themselves around experience, whereas the extroverted sensing type, the ESTP and the ESFP, they're more experiencing. So in the doing and the hands-on and in, in engaging themselves in more experiences, and real-time experiences, whereas introverted sensing in the ISFJ and the ISTJ is placing value in what has already been experienced in themselves and in others too, as a grounding of sorts, a foundational anchor. Yes. All right, very cool. And so that's a wrap. Thanks for watching Type Talks. My name is Joyce Wang, and I'll see you all in the next episode. Bye.